My name is Angie Brown and you are listening to the Being Luminary podcast, the podcast where I get into all things diversity, equity and inclusion with luminary guests, a sprinkling of coaching, advice, guidance and the inspiration for you to do things differently in your organisation. If you want to create a luminary place to work, a luminary experience for your clients, your teams, your communities. If you are committed to overleaping compliance and heading straight for luminary approaches to DEI, you are in the right place. You are listening to the Being Luminary podcast, episode number 75. Welcome back to the Being Luminary podcast, where we are in a special series featuring conversations from our November 2023 virtual summit, reimagining DEI for a new era of ethical leadership. In these conversations, you are going to hear me talking to my guests, thought leaders, educators, innovators in the field of diversity, equity and inclusion. Each window is going to be a bit of a window into our conversation, but also some of the ideas and strategies that we really feel are shaping the future of DEI. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Angie. My name is Claire Bloor, and I'm the CEO of SARSAS, which is a sexual violence service supporting survivors of sexual violence across the Southwest. This is obviously this is a DEI summit, and so we've been looking at um, workplaces in particular, and thinking about equity and social justice for people who hold different protected characteristics in workplaces, without without kind of thinking about the intersectionality of those protected characteristics and thinking about the experiences of women in workplaces. What sorts of trends are you seeing that you are? Yeah, what sorts of trends are you seeing? What are you picking up from the people that are coming towards you? Just as a kind of, I guess this is just instructive for people who are listening, who are leaders in workplaces yeah. who don't really know what they should be looking for. Well, I mean, we are, there was a report out last, I want to say last week, around the increase in sexual harassment in the workplace. And now that is interesting in that actually, where we see with sexual violence, the statistics play out a real difference between women and men. In terms of sexual harassment in the workplace, it, it isn't as defined. There's still more women experiencing it and more of the people perpetrating the sexual harassment are men, mm-hmm. like huge numbers. Yeah, But we are seeing a rise in sexual harassment in the workplace. And I think this is a little bit of a pushback against the wokeism that people are concerned about. So, you know, we should be allowed to have banter. Yeah. Flirting's fine. And I think what we say to people, because we do a lot of work in workplaces around sexual harassment and how to help your staff feel safe. And I think what we're seeing is particularly a younger generation of workers demanding that level of safety. Like it is unacceptable to feel harassed in the workplace. But from an employer perspective, what you end up with is people who don't feel safe to come to work. So huge levels of sickness, huge levels of people leaving your organization because there's an expectation they will feel safe in work. And if they're being sexually harassed in work, they are not feeling safe and therefore they're unable to work for you and do their job. So we talk to employers about not only the benefits of people keeping people safe because it's the right thing to do, but actually for you in terms of what you get out of your team, if they feel safe to come to work, they will perform better for you. If they don't feel safe to come to work, you'll see that levels of sickness and 
um, that levels of people not feeling like they can come into the organisation. And unfortunately, where we are in, in Bristol, it's one of the highest levels in the country in terms of workplace sexual harassment. And that's wow. something that we really need to, I know, it's, it's, a, it's something that we really need to look at in terms of what's happening there. What is, what is the culture that's pervading, that's allowing people, and often people in positions of power um, in those organisations, so often managers, um, who are either protecting other people in positions of power or allowing a culture to pervade where banter is acceptable and actually mm. what banter often does there's a difference between flirting and banter and it's really clear flirting is wanted banter isn't banter and mm. sexual harassment are not wanted so it's that i think it's a thing of helping employers to understand that difference mm. and saying that that doesn't mean that your culture has to be uptight and unhappy and without any joy actually there's more joy to be had in a culture where people feel safe and supported and feel like they belong and can come mm. to work without feeling like they're going to be harassed mm. and it's a really kind of like interesting idea of joy isn't it like some groups can have joy and others can completely yeah. feel like they can't actually come to work versus everybody could experience joy and it doesn't have to be you know that you're you're being done to um so we, I'm interested in the kind of workplace piece. And I guess what I'm what I'm saying to people who are watching these sessions is to really kind of um, sit with the discomfort that probably most of these things do happen in, in our workplaces rather than the assumption that they're, that they're never happening in any of our workplaces. Um, and, and, and in sitting with that discomfort to try and, because I feel like all these things are in a per peripheral vision. So we know when we're hearing the edge of banter, we know when we're hearing something that somebody could find uncomfortable and to, to maybe sort of call attention to that. So I first met you when you, um, a few years ago when you were developing DEI policies and kind of continuing the journey that SARSIS has been on in your, um, and you know, your kind of suite of DEI policies and things. And we had lots of conversations about the intersectional nature of the work that you do as well. Um, I wonder if we could just sort of move into that into that area, because I think um, you've always been somebody that that refuses to see any of these things as a sort of single a single um, identity issue, if you like. What where would you say let's like maybe we could start with with um, with 2020 and we could start with what happened after, uh, you know, in the next in the coming years after the murder of George Floyd and how that impacted upon your work. Can you tell us a bit about kind of where you were and how that how that has developed in, in your field? Yeah. And and I think you have to start with yourself a bit because, I mean, I, I've talked to you about this before, Angie, but I worked in Australia for 10 years and I was working really closely with the Aboriginal community and had to really understand in a way that I hadn't coming from Ireland where we didn't have a, a massively, we do now thankfully have a massively diverse population when I was growing up. And I think I grew up mm -hmm. with, a, with an amazing family who... The, at that stage felt like to even recognize difference in anyone was rude like it was rude you yeah. just didn't mention it you didn't notice it which means that we were could be very comfortable not noticing things yeah and so I grew up suddenly being very uncomfortable having to notice things and realize yeah. the impact I had on my own privilege and what that meant and working with the aboriginal community was such an amazing education for me because you know the calling in of people to work better with the aboriginal community and unfortunately that hasn't happened this weekend mm. and last weekend in australia but the calling in of people to work with the aboriginal community and to better support the aboriginal community they did so beautifully as a community in, Aust in australia where i was working so it wasn't about calling out all the time it was about calling in it was calling to reconcile mm. it was calling to recognize and reconcile and that was brilliant for me but when i got back to the uk i realized i knew nothing about black and brown um, uk history i knew nothing really about 
we didn't learn about the impact of colonialism except on Ireland. Like we learned about the impact of British colonialism on Ireland, but not on the yeah. rest of the world, really. And yeah. so there was a lot of work I had to do to kind of get an understanding of what was going on for, for black and brown British people and what the impact um, had had and how that then might translate in an organisational setting. So I think the first thing you need to think about is yourself and actually how are you coming to this work and what do you need to do on yourself? And, um, you know, that sense of, there's something I think after the murder of George Floyd where we all went, oh, anti-racism. And, mm. you know, for the people in our organisations, that must have felt like, wow, yeah, thank you. Like, mm. come to the party finally. And so, yeah. um, you know, it was good that there is a push. And I think that's really important. And I think you and I spoke in coaching about, I had a lot of guilt around that. And I think mm. you said to me, the white guilt's lovely. Can we move to action now? <laughs> it really stuck with me. It's like, lovely. Get the guilt. Get your recognising privilege. Well done. Now we're going to. Move to action, yeah. shall we? No point in you laboring yeah. around in your guilt. So I think that's what we tried to do when we brought you in to do being luminary work with us to to focus on the whole of the DEI area. But I think for most people, anti-racism racism is the, the most difficult one because it's the one that you have the most fear around, the one that you're so yeah. afraid of saying the wrong thing, the one that if we could get that right in our organisations, and that's a proper journey we need to go on, that actually that's that's one of the ones to tackle because it is so endemic, so difficult, and also white people particularly hold so much fear around it I think um, both mm. losing their power and privilege and also recognizing their power and privilege so mm. I think for me that's mm. you know it's massively changed our work and we are still I feel at the beginning of that journey so um we need I use the word journey a lot this is not ideal but we, <laughs> so I think we need to really focus on our broad DI work it, re- it helped us recognize actually after the murder of George Floyd that we weren't doing enough internally around particularly I think with our staff team we were really mm-hmm. good I think as charities of looking outwards and thinking about our yeah. client base and thinking about survivors and being like we want things to be perfect for them no barriers for survivors and then I was in a meeting like just last week talking about anti-racism which is our focus for this uh, next few years and our staff team and one of the women of mm. colour in our organisation who's our office manager was furiously nodding. And I was like, the level of furious and vigorous agreement makes me think we were absolutely not doing enough yet mm. with our staff team around this. Because I feel like with our clients, we've made a massive leap in progress. Our, you know, in theory, we've diversified our staff team. So that should help. But actually, are we doing enough to support inclusion and belonging within that yeah. team? And And I think for me, it's the different stages of like it's quite easy to look outward and now we have to come back to really looking inward about like are yeah. we are those team members feeling safe and secure and included yeah. and do they feel like they belong in this work or are they asking to behave in ways that don't feel authentic to them and I, I think that's what's the next stage for us is we've done some brilliant work externally focused and now we need to do mm. a really big I think listening exercise with action afterwards to to Mm. find out how we better improve things for our staff and volunteer team and who I think we have neglected in our push to um have positive external client work which is really important as well yeah and I think that's that's kind of instructive for anybody who is watching who is a leader in an organization and particularly I know we're going to have lots of people watching the summit here in education and they're thinking how do we improve things for our young people how do we make the curriculum an anti-racist curriculum how do we ensure that our processes our policies really serve an anti-racist approach in our classrooms but it's really uncomfortable to do that with staff and I'm, I'm always curious as to why it's so easy to kind of do it out there the clients the you know the consumers the customers but when it comes to my peer 
I think it more kind of accurately tracks back to my own behavior. My peer is going to say something about me and that's really uncomfortable. And organizationally, I think, you know, as an, as an institution, it's quite difficult to say we're doing all this work and then to hear we're not getting it right for the very people that and work I th- And I think that is the fear. It feels, yeah. it feels really difficult. Like when I, when I saw my colleague nodding so vigorously, I was like, oh, mm. I thought... I thought yeah. we were doing better than that now. Yeah. Like it yeah. was such a, it was such a, and she didn't say anything. She probably yeah. didn't even notice that I noticed her nodding so vigorously, but yeah. why was she nodding vigorously? And I was like, wow, okay, so we're not doing this well enough yet, which yeah. I didn't think we were doing well enough, but no, yeah. we're not doing this well yet. I thought maybe we were doing well enough and I'm not even yeah. sure. And I haven't yet had a chance to catch up with her because it was a really yeah. recent meeting. I'm not even sure we're doing it well enough. And it's, mm. it was, it was deeply like, Oh, I, you know, I'm feeling like, look at us, we're on our journey, we're making effort. Yeah. And, and and what would have happened, I think, before I started working with you a few years ago, Angie, is I think I would have taken that as a personal insult and then almost backed away from the work. Whereas actually after yeah. the work we did with you of being luminary and being able to sit with uncomfort and uncomfort, discomfort and have difficult conversations, I'm now leaning into that much more. I'm mean, like, mm. all right, okay, so now I can see yeah. this is what we have to do next, like really yeah. clearly. Whereas yeah. I would have run like the clappers away from that a few years ago because it would have been like I'm not getting it right I'm not the right person to do this I can't make this piece of work I've tried my very very best and it's not gone good enough and and actually now I'm like do you know what none of that none of how I feel about this really matters what matters is Mm. there's a person in my team nodding vigorously who's who is only one of two women of color in this room Mm. and she is basically with that nodding telling me that we're not doing this well enough and I need to now listen to that and take action even if I don't get it right all the time because even in that meeting, I could feel myself tripping over language. And yeah. am I using global majority? Am I using people of colour? Am I using yeah. minoritised people? What am I saying? Yeah. And if I'm uncomfortable using language, that will make everyone uncomfortable using language. And so, yeah, so I think there's so much still to learn that I'm unpicking. Thank you for joining us on the Being Luminary podcast, where, again, we featured an episode from our November 2023 summit. I hope that it offered you some valuable insights and some inspiration. Our special series is continuing on next week where we're going to be bringing you another of these conversations which highlights a really interesting set of perspectives and innovative approaches to leadership. Don't miss the next episode. I look forward to seeing you then. This episode was presented by me, Angie Brown. Original music is by Martin Ostwick. The series is edited by Big Tent Media and produced by Emily Crosby Media.